Hi, everybody. Welcome to episode five of the Doc Rob and DJ Braincast. Shout out to AKB, as we do every week, my friend Laura Elizabeth, not her real name, and to Booze, which we will get to later. What you drinking, Doc? Uh, right now I'm drinking, um, Cigar City. It's called the Florida Man Double IPA. Um, and, uh, hopefully it will turn me into Florida Man after a few of these. Uh, I don't know (laughs) if that's something I necessarily wish for. (laughs) So, so I got a few things on my plate this week. Oh, by the way, I'm drinking the last of my salted caramel Crown Royal with the last of my uh, fireball, some apple cider. Ooh, boy, it's, you're asking for a hangover there. It's quite delicious, <laughs> I must say. But uh, it was it's not as boozy as you think. I, I put it in a bigger glass and use the same amount of liquor. Just uh, t- try, t- trying not to abuse myself. And we'll get to the whole alcohol abuse thing as we move through the podcast. But I've got a few things this week. I want to talk about the critical thinking that we were working on last week. And uh, I never really could wrap that up to the extent that I wanted to. I want to talk about the Georgia runoff, more like the Georgia laugh my ass off. (laughs) And uh, liquor stores are raking it in, but at what cost? And we'd probably be negligent if we didn't at least mention pop decriminalization at some point during this podcast, even if we just take two minutes to carve it out and admit that it it really isn't an answer. But uh, I'll let you go first. Okay. The first article I wanted to talk about was one of these websites dug up the uh, old uh, high school yearbooks of Don Jr. and Eric. And of course, they went to these uh, Tony um, private schools that actually print nicknames next to the yearbook picture. So the nickname for Don Jr. was Stank. And the nickname for Eric was Chode. Um, I know what a chode is. I watch Beavis and Buddy. <laughs> well, I, you know, I I don't really know how they got these nicknames. It didn't really go into that. But uh, the first thing I thought was uh, Stank and Chode sounds like the worst buddy cop m- movie ever. So that would. Yeah, be... who would you star in that? Like uh... <laughs> Beavis and Butthead, of course. Oh, of course. What was I thinking? Uh, the, the, oh, the other thing I wanted to mention was the fact that Bill Barr uh, appears to be jumping ship from the Trump train. Fortunately, his uh, reputation has already been wrecked, so he should have just stayed on for the full ride. Yeah, he's pretty much untouchable at this point, I would think. Yeah, yeah. It's uh, now he has Trump's death cult, basically <laughs> apoplectic over uh, him being unfaithful to their dear leader. But uh, it'll be interesting to see. Um, I don't think anything that Bill Barr does now will ever erase him from being a huge skid mark in the underpants of history. You know, some people were commenting this week on various social media sites and the pundits were talking about how Trump is going to 86 Barr at the first opportunity. But I don't think he's going to do that. I really don't. I, th- I think that if you look at who's holding the the, tr- the not to use a pun, but the trump card here. Yeah. It's definitely Barr. The bus in that movie Speed would make so many lumps in Trump's back, it wouldn't even be funny. That's how fast Barr would throw him under the bus. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And and the other thing is that, like, at this point, why, you know, at this point, it's rearranging the deck chairs on the Titanic. It's like, he should just ride this out, hope the story goes away, and 
concede. You know, that's there's really no other ending to this except him leaving the White House. Well, that that's a given. But the, the underlying motive of all this is to rake in as much money as he can for his coming defense fund with the attorney general, state's attorney in New York from the Southern District of New York. Oh, yeah. Who I saw an interview with yesterday who is pretty much licking her chops over the prospect of getting into Trump's finances. Oh, my God. And and the, the general public is licking their chops over, you know, seeing what's going to come out of that story. Because right now it looks like he's talking about a 2024 run, but kind of hard to run if you're behind bars. But we'll see. Yeah, I, I imagine there'll be some kind of a plea deal with a felony. Yeah. But, uh, you know, rich guys I, I, always I, get off. Rich guys always get off. That's one thing that you can count on. So the thing that's cracking me up right now is this whole Georgia laugh my ass off runoff. There's a a piece in the Washington Post today by Aaron Blake that, that goes something like this. Republicans are in damage control mode in Georgia runoffs, launching a nascent effort to de- delegitimize Trump-aligned lawyers who have led calls for a potential GOP boycott <laughs> of the January races. L. Lynn Wood has been suggesting such a boycott for more than a week, saying it's necessary to force the GOP elected officials in Georgia to act on trying to overturn President Joe Biden, President-elect Joe Biden's win in the state. And in recent days, Wood has been joined in that effort by Sidney Powell, who until recently was a prominent member of Trump's legal team. Stories have been cropping up in conservative media about Wood's past donations and support for Democrats. Some GOP officials have joined in suggestions that he's some kind of a sleeper agent seeking to hurt the Republican Party. They've begun distancing, distancing themselves from Powell, too, despite her having been on Trump's legal team less than two weeks ago. The two main problems with this is, one, some of the top GOP figures, including Trump, have in the past and very recently promoted Wood's and Powell's work. The other is that Trump continues to send very mixed messages about whether Republicans should or will turn out the vote. So they're in a they're in a rough spot there. Yeah, (laughs) yeah, they're in a rough spot. And somebody commented today, it might have been one of the replies to this. You have a Republican governor, Republican attorney general, Republican election board. And somehow or another, they all conspired to let Biden win. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, the whole thing's just ridiculous. Um, you know, the the I can't wait for this runoff. It's going to be I I think that there will be some new voters that are inspired to get to the polls for this after after this shit show that Trump has been doing for the past several weeks. Yeah, I just don't understand the Lincoln project, who I'm sure you're familiar with. Mm-hmm. Have been busy erecting b- billboards in Georgia right now. And I'm waiting to see the pictures of the billboards come filtering in. They, they should be quite interesting. I would do everything I could to continue to press the fact that the GOP voters should stay away and boycott this obviously sham election. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, that'd be nice. So you're up. Okay, so Thanksgiving. Wanted to talk about that briefly. It is what I've always referred to as the first stage of the holiday triple crown. But basically eating too much, you know, the the usual tropes about Thanksgiving made me interested in an article on these Roman feasts, these ancient Roman feasts in which they would, between courses, they would 
use a feather to tickle the back of their throats to induce vomiting in, in a separate room known as the vomitorium. And slaves were then required to clean the mess up, which just must have been so gross because I was reading about, I mean, besides the fact that it's vomit, uh, a lot of the dishes they ate back then involved uh, fermented fish parts. So uh, it, it just must have been such a, a, a shitty job to, to have to clean that mess up. Oh, the other thing was it was considered normal to break wind while eating uh, because trapping gas inside the bowels could cause death. At least that's what they believed. And this actually, that little factoid reminded me of a story. When we were kids, my friend's parents used to have these parties uh, and we we weren't so much invited as we were just kind of de facto guests because we'd be hanging out. But uh there was this one older couple that would always show up and the old man would inevitably fart out loud, like right in the middle of the party, like really rip one. And, you know, adults being adults, they would pretend they didn't hear it. Whereas like the kids would hear it and they would crack up. Now this, this old man's wife was having none of it. And, and, you know, in all fairness, that's that's kind of uncalled for. Like, it's embarrassing to her. But anyway, so she would be giving him this death stare, you know, right after he ripped this fart. And he would reply to her, what do you want me to do? Have a heart attack? <laughs> <laughs> so, so uh, you know, it, it kind of goes back. Maybe he knew something from these ancient Roman texts that we didn't know that trapping gas inside the bowels could cause death. But needless to say, as little kids, we would walk around farting out loud and then follow it up immediately with, what do you want me to do? Have a heart attack? It's funny. The British have an expression, better an empty house than a bad guest. <laughs> and, and, and that's the truth. I, I you know, adhere to that. Uh, but anyway, the, the one thing that, that, that I drew a, very much a parallel with modern Thanksgiving, besides, besides the overeating, is they said the banquets ended with a binge drinking ritual in which diners discussed death. So, I mean, that just reminded me of, uh, you know, having to deal with all your drunken older relatives that are kind of pondering life. Maybe it's just me, but <laughs> that's something that uh, was never my favorite part of Thanksgiving. Well, the binge drinking was pretty cool, but I don't like getting into those kind of heady subjects when people are drunk. Yeah. Yeah. Wait till you get older. <laughs> so are you familiar with the festivals in Europe on December the 5th? In especially Germany and Bavaria. I am not. You ever heard of Krampusnacht? Yeah, I, you know, now that you mention it, I think I have heard that. With that, it has something to do with that Krampus character. Yeah, with the horns. Well, this dates back to pre-Christianity in that part of Europe, and basically, what it is is, while well, like most pagan holidays and pagan rituals got co-opted by Christianity. Uh, right. This one didn't get completely co-opted. So on December 5th, grown-ass men get together and put on fur and horns and chase kids around with sticks and beat them <laughs> for being bad. 
Sign me up. That's what my friend said. He said, how is this not popular in America? <laughs> oh, my God. So, anthropologists date the horned half-man, half-goat demon to pre-Christian times. And like visages appeared in various cultural holidays alongside the then emergent St. Nicholas figure. As Christianity spread, chains appeared on Krampus as a way to bind the devil. He was a fearsome symbol of warning, made more humorous over time, and completely absent from America's holiday celebrations, represented now only by the coal Santa leaves to misbehave children. I thought I'd throw that in because it's uh, Krampus Knocked Eve right now, and uh, I'm going to be cutting switches first thing in the morning. Absolutely. Looking for some kids to whip on. Happy Krampus Knocked Eve. Yep. So I have a friend who manages a liquor store. I talk to her a lot when I go to the liquor store. Now, I, for one, am not drinking any more than I was before the pandemic. In fact, I'm drinking less than I was before the pandemic started. But apparently, I'm in the minority. You know, take a guess at how much liquor sales are up year over year. Uh, 50%. You'd be shy by 30%. Liquor sales are actually up by 80%. Wow. Year over year. And her level of concern over her customer base is substantial. She mm -hmm. said that you'd be surprised how many people come in here in the middle of the day, buy a half pint of gin or a pint of vodka, and they're repeat customers. They come in four or five times a week. And I just want to take a minute and ask everybody, are you drinking too much? And I don't want to be, to be Mr. Sober here because I'm anything but but you might want to just take a deep breath and cut it back to four days a week instead of seven or eight, which is where a lot of people seem to be right now. Right, right. Online online alcohol sales are really exploding. And uh, you can see why people don't want to get a DUI in a lot of places. Uh, I guess we're going to go back to the peak of the pandemic situation where people aren't going to be allowed in liquor stores here pretty soon. I just uh, urge everybody to... Do a self-check here, and I, I don't want to screw up anybody's weekend, but just be careful out there. It's uh, easy to fall into a deep hole. I've been in that hole. Indeed. As a matter of fact, I've been intervened upon, and uh, while it didn't work immediately, it did have a sobering effect that lasted about six or seven months. Yeah, yeah. Um, it, but I always thought that the liquor stores were, at least in Maryland, they were considered uh, necessary services or whatever the phrase is for that, where they had to stay open. Because they realize, yeah, they're yeah, they're they're open, but it's one of those situations where um, they were only letting two people in at a time. At first, they weren't even letting you in the store. You told them what you wanted, and they went back and got it from the front door. Right, right. And they were my liquor store. At least was delivering. They stopped doing that when uh, when restrictions were relieved a little bit. Mm -hmm. But uh, they were doing a pretty bang up business for a while of delivering liquor. And I had several liquor deliveries myself. And uh, so it's very convenient. But that, that gets me to the Congress today, the House of Representatives, uh, decided that pot decriminalization is, uh, is nigh. Now, I don't know if it'll ever get through the Senate, at least not the Senate as we know it. No, today. no, it, that thing's dead on arrival. But I think statewide, we're, just think of where we were 10 years ago and where we are now. Oh, absolutely. Okay. I mean, it's it's the the tide is turning and um, it's going to happen. It's going to happen in our lifetime. So and if that's something, you know, being a child of the 50s and growing up in the wild 70s, 
you never thought would happen when people were getting locked up for a joint. Right, right. And people in Texas were doing 15 years for carrying less than an ounce. That's insane. And of course, most of them that were getting locked up were black. Mm-hmm. But, uh, you know, the, 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 you got to give Ralph Northam credit over there in Virginia. I mean, he acknowledged that right from Jump Street and said any decriminalization, anything on the pot front has to be met with at least some semblance of what am I looking for here of expunging the records of people who were busted for inconsequential amounts of pot, especially when people like, like our former uh, uh, John Boehner are involved in pot distribution and manufacturing now. Oh yeah. Yeah. There he jumped right on. Um, And it, it, what you said reminded me of a book I once read that uh, it was explaining kind of the history of marijuana and marijuana laws in the United States. And it said one of the reasons it it's been demonized is because around the turn of the century, uh, not obviously not this past, but um, around, you know, the 1900s, early 1900s, there was a wave of Mexican immigrants that came in to the United States and their drug of choice was marijuana. And because you know, obviously for racist reasons, they were looked down upon and marijuana was hence looked down upon as the devil's weed and, you know, something that low class people did. And, you know, it's it's really just ridiculous. If you look at if you look at the number of of deaths and violence that's associated with alcohol versus marijuana, it's just there's no comparison. Alcohol will out trump that every time i mean alcohol is terrible and and i say that as i'm sitting here about to crack my next beer (laughs) but but i think the difference is for somebody not me necessarily but for somebody who's going to spark up a doobie tonight typically they're not going to get in their car right right they're going to get into a bag of doritos or watch something cool on on television because there's not that much reason to go out when you're stoned like that. Absolutely. And you know what? I'm going to probably do some edibles and sit back, watch some TV, laugh with my kids. I mean, it's something that it's going to sound weird, but I feel like it makes me a better family man. Like it makes it just, it makes me kind of put my ego aside for a little bit, you know, maybe laugh at things that I wouldn't normally laugh at. Yeah, I, I see that. I, I can also see it as a, a way to focus on what other people are saying more so than you normally would when you just kind of brush it aside. Yeah. You know, I, I my senses seem to be enlightened if I was one to actually imbibe. Uh, my senses would probably be heightened. Well, let's just get it out. <laughs> right, right. Yeah, it's it's so weird because I in a lot of ways there? I feel like marijuana is kind of is is wasted on the young to a certain degree because the older I get, the more I'm bored with drinking after don't get me wrong. I love that first one, two, three drinks. I love them. But after that, every drink makes me just want to go to bed. Yeah, I I get tired. I get bored, you know, whereas like with weed, I'm kind of like, let's fucking turn on Pink Floyd live at Pompeii, you know, like and 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 stay up and fucking laugh and and, you know, and have a good time. 
Uh, Let's crawl into YouTube for about two hours. <laughs> Many <laughs> rabbit holes in YouTube. <laughs> Yeah, that, that's for sure. So let's get back. Let's wrap this up. We got about nine minutes left. Okay. Eight minutes. Eight minutes left. Let Let's wrap it up by going back to your your critical thinking uh, comments from last week, and how we could get critical thinking in schools. and And I finished off. I heard a pop top there. Yeah. I, uh, Indeed. <laughs> uh, my theory and my issue with with everything that you say has to do with history and the way history is taught in the United States. And one of these days, we're going to bring a teacher on with us to talk about the the school year, the end of the school year, the emphasis on what is emphasized and what's not, how, how different subjects are treated in different parts of the country, how especially the war between the states, civil war, the unpleasantries, whatever you want to call it, depending upon where you're from, tends to change depending on where you're from. So also the school the school year treats history chronologically which I don't think is necessarily a good thing because by the middle of May or early May for that matter for some kids the middle of April they know that their grades are what they are they just stop paying attention in school and the last thing they want to do is listen to history and I'd be very interested to see how Alabama treats the 2020 election as opposed to say New York especially New York City or California, or any place with a large minority population, because standardization is not standardization throughout the United States in the way subjects are presented and the way they're taught and the way they're snickered at, depending on who's doing the presenting. So I want to get a teacher on and talk about that, preferably someone in the administrative role, Mm -hmm. not necessarily somebody uh, who's just on the front lines trying to get kids not to act like assholes. Right, right. And in a lot of ways, what you said kind of goes along the lines of an idea that I had is that te- it, kind of combining history and civics together and showing people how stuff that has happened in the past is kind of repeating itself in the present, you know, and, and I... And and not repeating itself, like literally, you know, Mark Twain said, uh, history doesn't repeat itself, it rhymes. And you're just seeing so many similarities now with what Trump is doing to, uh, to uh, fascist regimes in the past that I really think that it should be taught in, in a single class that can kind of tell you where we've been and show you how we're kind of at the same place in the present. How we got there in the first place and where we how we're not so far from that place again. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I would agree with that, but just think that that's a very, very large ship to try to turn around. You'd have, on the state level, you'd have a lot of pushback from a lot of people. I think many states are happy that the number of their students that can't, can't identify the three branches of government Right. Is right. probably in the 20 percentile, mm-hmm. but know all the word, know all the Spanish words to the new Bad Bunny song. Yeah. Yeah. That that's uh, that's disconcerting. But some of some of that falls on parents and probably most of it falls on parents. If you live in a racist ass house with a bunch of ignorant people, you're going to be pretty likely to follow in their footsteps. Right. Right. And at like like so many problems that we're facing now it's like education is the only ticket out of it 
And, you know, if you can be the first person in your family to go to college and get exposed to new ideas, um, then that's great. You know, we have to do something to make college more accessible to a greater number of people. Yeah, I agree with that. And then we have to do something about going home and having your drunk uncle say, hey, college boy. Yeah, yeah. You're so smart. You know the answers to everything. And then, well, that's another story. Yeah, another week. yeah. You want to wrap it up? You got anything? Uh, Yeah, one more thing. Um, I was listening to a podcast tonight that, you know, I'm obsessed with ridiculous conspiracy theories, but I've never heard this one before. Uh, supposedly there are 25,000 followers, uh, on a conspiracy theory in Reddit that states Wyoming does not exist. And I had to Google this because I was like, no way. But anyway, there was an AP article on it. I'm not going to go into the details because we don't have time, but basically, in fact, the, the details aren't even important because you can, you can sum it up in basically two sentences. They believe... Wyoming does not exist because they've never been to Wyoming (laughs) and they've never met anyone from Wyoming. So therefore it does not exist. Uh, Couldn't you make the same argument about heaven and hell? Yeah, exactly. And these are probably the same people that would argue, you know, extensively to the existence of heaven and hell. Um, So, so yeah, that's just, uh, if you want to lose faith in humanity, uh, Please Google Wyoming does not exist and see. How in the hell could I lose any more faith in humanity (laughs) than I've lost in the past eight months? Uh, Exactly. Exactly. But yeah, I've never heard that one before. And these conspiracy theories are just getting more ridiculous as time goes on. Back back to the the critical thinking. (laughs) Next week, I want to talk about, or in the next podcast, whenever we get around to it, I want to discuss uh, disgraced and pardoned General Flynn. Uh, and his uh, his recent uh, sedition attempts, and and where he really belongs. Piece of and, shit uh, is what he is. He's, he's he's worse than a piece of shit. Yeah. the The good thing is, if he gets called before Congress to testify, he can be thrown in jail because he can't plead the fifth anymore. You can't plead the fifth once you've been given a pardon. Oh, nice! I did not know that. Yeah, you can't incriminate yourself if you've already been exonerated. Exactly. Right? Okay. That makes- not exonerated. Not exonerated. Excuse me. Pardon. Pardon. Yeah. There's a big difference. Oh, yeah. There's a big yeah. difference. So I, I think that uh, we've got plenty to go on next week. Uh, the, it looks as though the uh, the Trumpanistas are finally starting to scurry out of the White House. And I guess our biggest question in the next two or three weeks is how long will it be before uh, the, the Romanian she-devil decides to slip divorce papers into the Donald's <laughs> greasy little palms. Oh, come on. She loves him. <laughs> Don't you realize how much money she could make writing a book? True love forever. I mean, <laughs> if you tried to translate the noises that I just made, you'd be very unsuccessful. <laughs> All right. Well, we got about 30 seconds left. Once again, I'd like to thank everybody for tuning in. Uh, Rob, uh, thanks for joining me again this week. And thank you. Um, in, in, the cup, in, the, in the coming weeks, I have a uh, former makeup artist from CNN, a classical guitar player extraordinaire, John Shaw. And uh, we're going to get somebody who went to the, the Culinary Institute of America, also known as the CIA, to join us here in, sometime in the next month or so. Awesome. And you have a friend in Maine that may be interested in this little endeavor yes, as well. Yes, artist buddy. And I want to get uh, uh, Roger Powell in here at one point or another too. Yep. 
All right. Well, that's all I got. Okay. Have a good weekend. You too. Thanks, everybody. Bye-bye.